too bad he didn't have much energy. <laughs> I love Tony. Man, he's a good teacher and preacher. Well, uh, just want to encourage you to uh, take this opportunity. Whether you've ever done a, a Bible study or not um, with, with the group, uh, these are two really good studies. I encourage you to take, take this step and, and be a part of them. Um, in fact, a, a lot of men yesterday, uh, as we uh, launched a men's ministry in an official kind of way yesterday, we had a great gathering yesterday morning. Over 50 guys uh, came out for breakfast uh, and uh, on a cold, cold morning. But it was such a good day, thanks to the uh, men's ministry leadership team for uh, setting that all up and doing a great job, and for the sub-teams who came along and shared about um, various things going on this year. And and as we talked about yesterday, it's not just about busying ourselves. It's not just about activity, but it's about making those connections uh, as, as men who are seeking God. So if you weren't able to make it yesterday, uh, again, Bible study is a great opportunity to step into that. And, of course, women, um, as always, you guys have done a great, uh, gals have done a great job of, uh, of studying God's Word together. So I encourage you to sign up for both of those. Uh, it, it was a full day yesterday. Two of my meals came from the church, which is always a good thing, especially on the weekend when my wife's working. So uh, uh, yes, yesterday morning for men's breakfast, and then uh, last evening, uh, if you weren't able to come and be a part of a night in Little Italy, uh, this place was transformed into uh, a wonderful Italian eatery, and it was just a great night. Uh, thanks to Pastor Josh and, uh, and Becky uh, and Brian Duncan, who I know put hours and hours in, but all of the kids that just did a wonderful job of, of serving. If you didn't get a chance to come last night, that, that's one of their key fundraisers uh, so that they can earn money to go on mission trips and retreats and conferences. Um, perhaps you didn't get to come, but you, you want to support one of those students uh, in one of those uh, adventures or endeavors. Uh, talk to Becky or Pastor Josh. Uh, just because you weren't able to make it, don't miss the opportunity to help uh, encourage them along. Well, today... Um, we're starting a new series, and um, it's one of those series that it always sounds like a really fun, great idea to do, but um, it usually means that we're going to mess with your business, and we're going we're gonna to talk about your lives, and we're going to really get in and, and start looking at what it means to be married. One of the dangers of doing a series like this is that we don't like to alienate people. Uh, and, and for some of you, uh, perhaps you're single, you've never been married. Some of you are widowed. Um, and uh, perhaps some of you are just in seasons right now where perhaps uh, marriage is the last thing you want to talk about because it's been pretty painful. Uh, perhaps you're divorced and you've walked through some really difficult times. Let me first of all say as your pastor is that our intention is this, is, is not to make light of anything that you're going through. Uh, our hope and our prayer is that this will be an encouragement to you uh, and, and, to, and to make sure that, that we understand, while maybe we haven't experienced some of those painful things, is that uh, we don't want to make light of that. And so please understand our heart is to very much care for you as well. But we also don't want to not talk about marriage. It's, it's vital for us to understand what marriage is about. For those of you that perhaps are not married right now, I do want you to understand you have a role. 
You have a role as people are seeking to live godly marriages. Your role is to help encourage and, and empower people uh, it, it, through the Holy Spirit and, and, and cheer them on, champion them on. I think one of the dangers anytime we do a series like this is that also um, we base our marriage off of what everybody else's marriage looks like. Well, my marriage is okay because it's better than this person's marriage. Married couples, this is about your marriage, nobody else's. It's about yours. And so you will do best walking into this series, not by saying, well, we're, we're at least doing better than so-and-so, or at least it's not this way. The reality is, is that we believe, as your pastors, that we need, to, we need to look at the Word of God, and we need you to look at your marriage. No one can do that like you can and so the, the point is not to embarrass. The point is for us to also celebrate what a great thing God has given us. What a great thing that we can be a part of if that is what our life entails. And so we're going to dig into this. And our goal is that we want to be a church where marriages that exist are healthy. We don't want to settle for just the good marriages that this world talks about. Because you can be married without Christ as the foundation, and you can have a good marriage. That's not our goal. Our goal is our godly marriages. And there is a huge difference between a good marriage and a godly marriage. So part of what I want us to look at today is what tends to, to break down God's idea of marriage. We're going to look at some myths and some things that I think creep into marriages and really cause us to settle for less than God's best. And again, my prayer is that this is only the beginning of what you will each do in your marriages. And for those of you who are single, is that you will encourage in other marriages. Young people, as you think down the road how you want to go about creating a relationship and choosing to be married. The beauty of this today is that in this room sit people, some who are about to be married, some who have been married um, for, for a little while, others who have been married for years. We have a couple in this room today who's been married for 67 years, if my, if my math is correct, Bob and Ruth. Uh, yeah, absolutely. How cool is that? But I was looking, Dee printed off a list for me this week. I said, can you, if you saw in the Register Herald this week, there were people who've been married over 50 years. Well, there were three different couples um, from ECOB that happened to get their picture taken that were in the paper. Bob and Ruth, um, Ed and Judy, and I'm, I totally have went blank. Dee, help me. <laughs> this is horrible when you don't write it down. Okay, so the point is, is that um, if that's you, I'm really sorry. But we have like about 20 couples in this church that have been married over 50 years. And we have others who are widowed that were married over 50 years until the, the passing of one of their spouses. But this is a really special day too because we have a couple here today who is celebrating their 12th anniversary on Valentine's Day. 12 years ago today, I, I officiated the wedding of Greg and Becky Brubaker. So let's, let's tell them a happy anniversary. Sorry, I had to do it. I didn't have to do it. I wanted to do it. Sorry, but this is driving me nuts. It's, I looked at it all during worship, that little string. 
<laughs> Sorry, Matt, I was worshiping, but it was driving me nuts. OCD, yep, that's exactly it. Well, let's dig into this. Let, let's talk about this a little bit and, and talk about what creeps in, what can creep in. Most fairy tales have a line, if it involves a, a guy and a girl, has a line that everybody, uh, especially young couples, just, just draw to. Does anybody know what that line is? And they lived happily ever after. Well, my goal today is not to totally blow that up, but it is for, to help us understand, and as some of you are already demonstrating, is that as we look at some of these myths, it's hard not to laugh out loud. Because as I was preparing this message this week, it was really hard as I was compiling these and, and looking at them and thinking, oh man, who, who thinks that? Well, maybe we don't take these full bore and, and embrace them in our marriage, but maybe what happens more likely is that these ideologies kind of creep in. And I think it's very true that that happens. Let's pray and then we'll dig in. Father, thank you for your definition of marriage. God, thank you that you have, you have created this sacred relationship. And God, I thank you that not only in your word, but through your Holy Spirit, you empower us, you equip us to do something that is sometimes just seemingly impossible. But God, you've created such a good thing. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church understand it. So guide us and direct us today and help us to be open to what it is you want to teach us. Lord, perhaps we're sitting here in our marriages and, and we think, we're thinking things are going well. Lord, I hope that's the case. But if it's not, help us not to avoid that. Help us to be honest with you and our spouse. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the first one. The first myth. Marriage is not that different than living together. Now, churches jump onto this and spend more time talking about the idea of living together or not living together. Wherever you stand at on that, here's what I want us to think about. I want us to understand how God defined marriage. That's the most important thing. The most important thing for us is to understand what is this marriage thing. And no matter what government, what culture says we know and we should believe is that marriage is defined and established by none other than God the Father, our Creator. And so any other junk out there that says it's anything else, we should ignore. I'm afraid sometimes what we can do as the church is that we can talk about what we don't like instead of talking about what we do stand for, not just against. I hear people all the time perhaps talking about how wrong living together is when really what culture needs to hear from us is how right marriage is, how good it is. Go with me to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. This is classic text, verse 18, classic text that's read at almost every wedding ceremony that I've ever done because this is where it starts. This is where it begins. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. 
Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Now it seems for a minute that Moses has kind of gotten off track. He's not. Look at the connection. He says, but for Adam, in that no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall in a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. You see, this myth that living together is the same as marriage or not that different actually weakens what marriage is all about, what marriage is intended to be. We draw our definition from these verses, and here's a bit of what these verses say. They tell us that a man will leave his parents and he will publicly promise himself to his wife forever. A man and a woman to be married and united in a very, very holy, sacred relationship. It says here that man and woman take responsibility for each other's welfare. It's not a, let's try it and see if it works out. No, when that commitment is made that we understand in Scripture, it is a commitment for a lifetime, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And next to their relationship with Christ, that being the first, there is no other love that they share that is great except for between husband and wife. No other. And so, as we look at this, men, women, if you look at this and there is any doubt in anybody's mind that some other relationship besides your relationship with Christ is before your relationship with your husband or your wife, then you better adjust it if you want to follow God's ways and receive God's blessings. And you may say, well, I don't really care what people say. I've said it before and I'll keep saying it again. Yes, you do. I do too. We do care what people say. And you should to some degree for the fact that we are witnesses to testify to who Jesus Christ is. And so we want people, not in a prideful way, but we want people to acknowledge our marriage as a godly marriage. Not because it's perfect. And let me, let me say right now, none of this today or for the next four weeks is about perfection. No marriage is perfect because no marriage is made up of two perfect people. I don't know that any marriage that's made up of one perfect person. So this isn't about perfection. It's not just about being better than the person next to you or the marriage is closest to you. No, it's about honoring God and, and, and just nurturing this beautiful relationship that is sacred. See, we have taken in this culture something so holy, so rich, so sacred, and we brought it down to be casual, to be informal, to be, let's try it out, let's experiment. No matter what anyone else says, God has established this holy covenant, and it is a commitment that we publicly make. 
I hope one of the things that happens during this series that I'm praying for is that whether you've been married one year or whether you've been married 67 years, is that you look at your marriage relationship and you seek to honor God in it. Because I'm sure Bob and Ruth would say, even in marriage 67 years, they're still working on stuff. They're still practicing and figuring out what it means to love one another in new seasons of life. Let's go to Ephesians 5. This is another classic text. And if, if perhaps a good start for you couples is to look at Genesis 2 and Ephesians 5, read through it together in time on your own and talk about it. Now, this text gets such a bad rap, and it drives me nuts. And you probably know why. Because people jump on this, oh, wives have to submit their, their husbands. That's not fair. That's a bunch of baloney. They don't read the whole thing. If you read this, which we're going to, what you see, that the greatest responsibility lies with the man, the husband. We have a role to submit to our wives in such great ways. Let's look at it. Verse 21. This is the foundation of it all. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, we don't submit to one another because our spouse deserves it. We don't submit to one another just because it looks good or that's a nice way to love them. No, as Christ followers, we submit to one another because we submit out of our reverence for Christ, period. You see, men, women, husbands, wives, as a Christ follower, we cannot, we should not do anything different than submit to our spouses because we have a reverence and a love and an honor and a worship for Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. And when we get that right, not perfect, but when we seek that, seek that out in our marriage, it's amazing how easy it is to submit. It's amazing how our, our feathers do not get ruffled when we're called to submit because it's not about uh, jockeying for position with our spouses. No, it's about a reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife's wife loves himself. There is no relationship humanly like the marriage relationship between husband and wife. There's nothing humanly like it. But there is one other relationship we can look to for the standard of it. And we just read about it. It's that relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. See, our models should not be our, our heroes in marriage. I love Bob and Ruth, and I love what their marriage is expressed. I love what we've seen in their lives. 
but they would be the first to tell you, don't look to us, look to Jesus Christ in the church. That's your standard. And so we have to honor that, church. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know what that looks like specifically for you as well as a couple, but I challenge you to honor your marriage. Honor that relationship of commitment, sacrifice, and servanthood. And I suggest that you start by getting on your knees and asking God how you can do that. Maybe you've done it your entire marriage. But perhaps this is a new season for you to live that out anew. So that's our foundation. Let's look at myth two. Myth two. This is one that you kind of chuckle. But my spouse will make me whole. It's interesting to me is that couples who swallow this myth tend to have a couple of circumstances driving their relationship. We've all witnessed perhaps people get married to others and they believe that everything's going to change. Everything horrible in their life suddenly will be better when they say, I do. Everything that is good is going to get even better because their spouse is going to allow everything to just work out. Now, I love the optimism. I love the excitement and the energy in that. But we are setting ourselves up for failure if we believe that. A lot of people would say that this is, this is a myth just for people who are engaged or just married. I think one of the things, as you're married for a while, Susan and I have been married for almost 24 years, it'll be 24 in May, is that there are still times that both of us, in unhealthy ways, try to lean on the other in ways that the other is not intended to meet our needs. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about his needs, her needs. But what the point is for today is that Jesus is the one who truly meets our needs. And we cannot displace the needs that Christ fulfills and try to put our spouse in there. And it looks a couple of different ways in, in relation, marriage relationships. The one is what we would call an, an over-dependent relationship. This is where there is a strong couple identity, but there's no individual identity in a marriage. And the danger of this is that if one partner is struggling or is weak, the other partner, because they're so dependent on, on the other, cannot uphold that marriage. It's a healthy, an unhealthy view because we tend to place too much on others. And I'm not talking responsibility, but I, what I'm talking about is we are trying to find our wholeness and our assurance in our spouse. Now, good spouses provide stability and love and care, but we're human. We are mortal, and so we cannot build that up to a point where our dependence is more on them than it is on Christ. Then there's the other side where you have this overly independent. Perhaps you've seen relationships like this in marriage where you have two, two individuals who you really wonder if they're married. You never see them together. They never do anything together. And you wonder why they're they're, they have a marriage because they're so independent to the point of 
not being able to trust one another or anybody else for that matter. So what God calls us to do is to have a healthy interdependence. That's why, we, that's why marriage was created between a, a man and a woman, is to be able to share in this interdependence. And this interdependence is intended to do one thing, one thing only. And this is where the happily ever after kind of goes out the window. Marriage was not created to make us happy. It was created to make us holy. What? I've been lied to all these years. It doesn't mean there won't be joy. But marriage is not about circumstantial happiness. Marriage is about holiness that is created between two individuals interdependent on one another in Christ where joy rises up. Joy is what defines their relationship. Because as I tell every young couple, you're going to have troubles. You're going to have things that come your way, and we've done the best to prepare you we can, but you know what? It's going to wallop you. And you have to be ready. You have to be ready. Look with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, as you're going there, think back to what we talked about in our submission to Christ. That's where our interdependence starts. But this passage of Scripture in 1 Peter 1 often is, is not talked about necessarily in the sense of marriage. We look at it in the sense of being a follower of Christ, but that has to be demonstrated in our marriage. You see, we aren't Christians everywhere else except our marriage, and we do marriage how we want. No, we are Christians. We are Christ followers in our marriage. And so a part of following Christ is to become holy. Look at this in chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, with minds, and think about this in marriage, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. One of the things I love watching in people's marriages is when couples come alongside each other and they encourage each other. And, and when one is down, the other steps up. There is no such thing in marriage as 50-50. I've heard people say, well, yeah, it's a 50-50 thing. Since when? I don't, I've been married 23, almost 24 years. We've never had 50-50. She's usually 75, and I'm usually on the other end. But seriously, the, the point is, is, is that really the goal? No, the goal is that when our spouse is down, is that we come alongside and we, we lift them up. We care for them and we love them. And they do the same for us. There's such beauty in that because it becomes this crucible of God shaping us. You see, no one knows you like your spouse. When you get up in the morning and you're so stinking grumpy that you, nobody can stand to be around you, guess what? Your, your wife, I said that, guys, sorry. Maybe, it's, maybe, it's, maybe it is your wife being grumpy and not you, men. But the point is, is that we know the deepest, darkest things of our spouse's hearts. And sometimes it's ugly. 
But God uses that. When I watch couples run from that and avoid that, it, it breaks my heart because those are the moments when God shapes you. Those are the moments when God takes you and says, you're being selfish maybe here. And so work through this together. Depend on me and work through it together. Read a little bit further. Verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges these persons' work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. You see, that's, that's a healthy understanding. Your hope is not in your marriage, as good as it's intended to be and as wonderful as it can be. Sometimes we set up marriages to do stuff that they are not intended to do and then run from things that they are intended to do in us, and that is to make us holy. You know, it drives me nuts when my wife calls me out on something, and she's right. Drives me nuts. But I, this is what I think about. After I'm done pouting, after I walk away, as I think about God is using this woman who puts up with so much to help shape me into the man of God I'm supposed to be. Now, that doesn't mean I, I throw everything out and whatever she says goes all the time because it works the other way too. But what we have stumbled through so many times is to not become defensive and to realize we are on the same team. And an interdependence puts you on the same team. I need that woman. She needs me. You all need each other in your marriages. And so we have to step back and find our identity in Christ as we build the marriage together. There's an old triangle, and it, I should have put it on the screen, I didn't, but it's the man on one side point and the woman on the other point. And if you see Christ at the point up at the top of the triangle, if you continue to both seek Christ, look what happens. You, you draw closer together. That's really how we need to view our marriages. Let's look at myth three. I won't spend a lot of time here because this one is um, a little similar, but um, chuckle if you'd like. We expect exactly the same things for marriage. This myth is caught up in we love each other and we have a lot of things in common. What happens is that we fail to understand that sometimes we may want to get to the same place, but we're going to get there different ways. See, each of us bring different things into marriages. Most often we bring in the marriages that we see in our parents. And sometimes those are good examples, and sometimes they're not good examples. Or sometimes we don't see them clearly. And so sometimes it's even silly stuff. But this comes out, and in, in, in this is where conflict can just rise up. And we're going to talk about conflict next week. Get ready. Um, and 
And in that, what happens is there are not clearly defined roles and expectations or rules. We got married. We were married for, um, we had been married over a year, I guess. And um, I, I one day, and I, I've shared this story before, it was Susan present, even though she's not here, so she's given me permission. And I remember that there was one day I was going to put out uh, new Kleenexes because we were out, we'd went to the store, new Kleenexes. And so I put the Kleenexes out. Well, she was away, she came back, and then um, she didn't blow her top or anything, but she just said, that's not where the Kleenexes go, okay? That's where I've seen a box. Yes, sweetheart, but that's the lotion uh, lotion-induced Kleenexes, okay? And we don't put those there because that's where I clean my glasses. And I'm thinking, yeah, I did that yesterday and I got lotion all over them, but it's because I put them there. Well, it was kind of this hidden rule that there are certain ways that works out. We had certain roles that we laid out early on. And praise the Lord, she came to me before we were married. She said, I hope it's okay, but I'm really particular how I do my laundry, so I'm going to do the laundry. <laughs> I'm like, Yes! God was looking out for me, I'm sure. And to this day, I've not done a lot of laundry, even though I can do it. But the point is, is that when you don't talk about those rules and those roles, and thankfully the Kleenex thing has, has subsided a bit, but I have goofy things like that in my life as well. And when you come into a marriage, or those of you that are married a while, when you hit a time of transition... You become parents. Now that'll rock your world. Or the kids are starting to go to school and mom has to figure out, okay, she stayed at home and mom's, okay, now how am I, how am I going to function? So I'm used to caring for the kids all day long. Or kids graduate or you have a job change or you relocate. All of those bring a redefining of expectations or rules and roles. And what a lot of couples can tend to do, and I'm, we've been guilty of this, is you kind of just go in and say, yeah, let's just see how it works out. Well, that'll blow up, and it usually does. It ends up in an argument. It ends up in a fight over silly stuff, and the reason is is because you draw battle lines and say, well, these are my expectations, without even considering what your spouses are. We have to be really careful, because God fearfully and wonderfully made both of us, both of us in a marriage relationship, and we are God's workmanship as Ephesians 2 says, but we have to learn to appreciate the other. We have to learn to appreciate that maybe your mom and dad did it a certain way, or maybe this is the way you've developed over the years, couples, but it's not a right way or wrong way. It's just what you've chosen. And this is what I love about marriage, because you have the opportunity to build your values together. You have the opportunity to decide what's important and why it's important. And that's where it's important to listen and share those. And in this world where we run 100 miles an hour, often we don't take the time to do that. Young couples, it does not get easier when you go get older, which we'll talk about in just a moment. I want to look at one more passage in Galatians 6. Galatians 6. Again, this is not a, a specific passage for, um, for marriage, but... I think it's important. I'm struggling here, but I will get here. 
All right, I had it tabbed, so I'm going to look up here. Galatians 6, chapter 1. Excuse me, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who, li- you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill, hold that screen, the law of Christ. Often it's easy for us to play the spiritual one in our marriage, perhaps, men, women. This is the key. We are called to be together. We are called to carry each other's burdens. Sometimes it does mean we call each other out. But the point is, is we don't call them out and say, fix it. That's not what a marriage does. A marriage based on interdependence says, this is what I see, but I'm going to walk along with you and we're going to work through this together. Verse 3, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Ouch. Each one should test their own actions that they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. If you read on in these verses, what you see here is this this encouragement to continue to walk together. Take responsibility, which these verses speak of. Take responsibility and not just say that your spouse's expectations are wrong, but seek to understand and to walk together. Now let's talk about the last one. Marriage is easy once you've been married for a while. No, it's not. And, and what I see happening in this with couples is I see happening, and I've experienced it in my own life. I mean, we've been married 23 years. I should be figuring this thing out by now. But we are entering times in our life that we've never been through together. And more than now than anything is that things come into our lives that aren't in our lives early on. Kids. Now, kids are a wonderful, beautiful gift from God. But we all know, those of you that have been married, you understand that when you have that responsibility and you're still trying to invest in your marriage, it's incredibly difficult. This is where those of you that have already, you've already, your kids are graduating out of the house. This is where couples my age and younger, we need you. We need you to come around us. Maybe to watch our kids, but maybe more so to come alongside us and just say, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. It's difficult. It's incredibly exhausting, but you're going to get through it. That's the way the church has to interact with one another. The reason this is a myth and it scares me is because it goes back to the comment of I think a lot of people can settle in to a marriage. And they say, yeah, our marriage is good. But is it godly? I don't know that. That's between you and your spouse and the Lord. But sometimes we just operate and function in our marriage based on Yeah, it feels good. One of the beautiful points in marriage comes when you are loving, not because you feel like it, but you are loving because you've made a commitment. Now that can sound horrible, but it's not. The culture will often tell us that, yeah, you know, if you get bored with them, you know, then you're kind of stuck and whatever. 
It's easy to love when you feel like loving somebody. When they make your heart go pitter-patter. It's easy to love. But when that person is driving you nuts and your commitment to love is based on your commitment that you made before God and your spouse, that's where a marriage deepens and becomes rich. A few years ago when Susan was diagnosed with cancer, I had one of the greatest blessings in my life. I remember when she... um, was at a point she could not do much of anything. She was just weak and after surgery and chemotherapy. And, and I just remember she said to me multiple times, she just looked at me and she said, I'm sorry, you didn't sign up for this. Or this is not what you signed up for. And I looked at her and I said, you bet it is. And the joy for me was that I was able to find a whole new way to love my wife that I had never had loved her before. And it was because of what we were walking through. Now, we didn't do it perfectly, and it it was hard. You guys have heard a lot of that, as I've shared over the years. But you know what? Some things come into our lives, and what we need to see is, this is the opportunity. This is the opportunity for me to grow as a Christ follower and to love my spouse in ways that I've never been able to love them before. That's fun. Now, that sounds goofy, but it is so fun because that means whatever comes your way, you depend on Christ. Your marriage should be solid, and you say to God, we don't know how we're going to get through it, but we're going to get through it. Now, I hope and pray that you don't have to experience that by one of you being ill or a child who is ill, but don't run from that, church. Don't run from it when things get tough. And don't just put your head down and say, well, we're just going to get through it. No, look at how you can honor Christ. Look at how you can take this marriage relationship and it becomes something so much more. The things that God intended. 1 Corinthians 13. You knew it was coming because you can never talk about marriage and love without talking about 1 Corinthians 13. But this is what I want us to look at seasons in marriage. Look for those opportunities to live out this in ways that you've never had before. Let's look at it. You know it. Let's read it together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. When you look at your marriage, no matter how long you've been married, and you look at it as a new opportunity each day to love your spouse, when you don't feel like it, but you've committed to it, but when you do feel like it as well, God will use that. God will honor himself through that. And I encourage you not to give up. I know without a doubt in the number of people in this room today, there, is, there are no doubt marriages that are struggling. And I don't say that because I'm thinking of specific people. I'm saying that because marriage is hard. But if you stay the course 
and go back and seek the Lord and His definition of marriage, oh, how sweet it can be. The sweet times of marriage, yeah, they come when you have kids. They come when you experience wonderful times together. But sometimes the beauty of marriage is just that daily, which is sometimes a grind, but yet you're loving each other through it. That's not boring. It's commitment. And it's what marriage is all about. One of the things, just very practically, that um, I encourage couples to do, no matter how long you've been married, is to keep going on dates. We had one Friday night. Go on dates and use that time. And, and if you've got a house full of young kids, find a babysitter. If, if it all in your power, find a babysitter and go on a date. One of the biggest misunderstandings for parents is that um, we have to pour all of our lives into our kids. The best thing that you can ever do for your children is love your spouse. Don't ever forget that. The very best thing that you can do for your children is not give them all they want, not let them to do all the activities they want. That stuff's good and it's wonderful, but it should all come after one thing, and as that you are loving your spouse. That's what they need. That's what the, we will, they will appreciate long after they walk off the soccer field or out of high school. So give them that. Give yourself that. What joy. So my prayers, we walk forward. Next week, we're going to talk about conflict and communication. How fun. It'll be good. We're going to learn how to fight a good fight. Seriously, that's what we're going to talk about. How do you fight fair? But then we're going to talk about his needs, her needs in two weeks and talk about gender differences and talk about how you can make one of the goals of your marriage in your role is not to blame and, 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 and accuse, but to meet the needs of your spouse. Because if you both do that, guess what happens? And then the last week we're going to talk about being soulmates, the role of spirituality in marriage. As we saw from the beginning definition, as it's woven into the very, the very definition. So walking forth today, here's what I want to encourage. Those of you who have been married a long time, find a couple younger, than, and, and maybe not married as long as you have been, and, and just go encourage them. Maybe just walk up and say, hey, we don't know you, but we know you're married. Hey, can we pray for you? That's not weird. Maybe a little awkward for a few moments, but it's not weird. That's what we have to do as the church. We can do all great marriage seminars and all these great things, but when we start loving each other and caring for each other and helping each other in our marriages, wow, then we really become the church. So I encourage you to do that. And, and couples, no matter what, what age or how many years, if you're struggling, seek out a, seek out a couple. Don't look for a perfect couple because there, there's, there's none around anywhere. But seek them out and just, just ask them for, to pray for you. I can't tell you the number of couples in our life that sometimes not even knowing have come around Susan and I and just gave us a, a word of encouragement when we needed it. And so let's do that for one another. And let's be ready to embrace what God has for us as we walk through this series. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this this God-given sacred relationship of marriage. What a joy. 
Lord, help us to understand that it's not like anything else that we experience as human beings. And that, God, in that, you have such great blessings in store. Lord, you want to use that relationship, that commitment. You want to use it to shape us. Lord, may we be moldable. May we be shapeable. May we allow our spouse to not only walk alongside us in interdependence, but also to be the one sometime to challenge us. And Lord, may we always respond out of reverence for you. Lord, I pray for marriages in this church because we know without a doubt Satan wants to attack every marriage in this church over the next four weeks because we're going to be talking about it. And I pray right now on behalf of my brothers and sisters that in the name of Jesus Christ, we will not allow the enemy to defeat us. We will not allow the enemy to discourage us. And Lord, for any couple that fears that, for any couple who is facing that, Lord, remind them of the promises of your word. Remind them that the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is able to overcome any attack that Satan can give. But Lord, we have to hold on to you. We have to cling to your promises. We have to seek to be obedient. We have to rest in your grace. Help us to do that. And Lord, help us to take a step. We want to have godly marriages, not just good ones. So, Father, as we spend this time, I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts. And, Lord, may we share the joys, may we walk through the struggles together, all the while loving you. In Jesus' name, amen.